0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here. Today is Thursday, August 18, 2022. It's about 325 in the afternoon. My guest today really needs no introduction to the Judging Freedom audience he is, Colonel Douglas McGregor, our go-to person on military matters, particularly with respect to Ukraine. Uh, Colonel McGregor, always a pleasure to have you here. You are a fan uh, favorite, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, we We have read recently in media reports, I, I have to start my question out with that because I don't know if this happened or not. I don't know if the CIA leaked it and the media picked it up without uh, attempting to verify, or if it happened, Mm -hmm. that Ukrainian uh, forces have been destroying Russian depots in Crimea. Is this true? And if so, is it a big deal?
0: Well, the first answer is that the Russians are very tight-lipped right now. Uh, They're not really telling anybody anything about it. Uh, We can confirm one explosion and that could be any number of different things. It could be sabotage. It could have been a quadcopter that flew overhead with a munition strapped to it or something, dropped it on some uh, flammable substance. We really don't know, Judge. But to tell you flat out that this is important is wrong. This is not a game changer. Okay. I would judge this all to be largely irrelevant. There is a it major- is
1: is Crimea. Now, uh, culturally, politically, geopolitically, a part of
0: Russia. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It has been since 1776. (laughs) An interesting interesting number in Russian history as well. right. (laughs) Uh, Americans need to understand that for about 500 years until 1776, the Crimean Tartars, who were initially part of the Golden Horde, that conquered most of Eastern Europe and held Russia as a tributary state and subsequently became part of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, they waged war on the Christian Slavs to their north in Ukraine and Russia. They captured tens of thousands of slaves and brought them back to uh, Crimea from where, from where they were shipped to Constantinople and then sold in the slave markets. So the Tsars, before they were even Tsars, when they were princes of Moscow, were trying desperately to defeat the Tartars, drive them out completely. It took them 500 years. Remember, these are the same people that destroyed Kiev completely in the 13th century. So bottom line is, number one, this was a stronghold for the Mongols, for the Tartars, and the Russians finally took it under Catherine the Great in 1776. And he eliminated that Khanate completely and stopped the slave holding. Secondly, you had the Crimean War from the end of 53 until the beginning of 56. That is 1853 to 1856. The Russians lost the war in Crimea to the French, the British, and the Ottomans who together were allied against the Russians. And the great fear at that point was that the Ottomans were so weak that the Russians would simply overwhelm the Ottomans. But the Russians lost the war in the Crimea because they had no connectivity to Crimea at that point. No rail lines, no logistical infrastructure. The roads were terrible. They were embarrassed. All right. How does Crimea get back into the Russian orbit after the Crimean War? Well, ultimately, everyone involved in the war decided they had no interest in holding on to it. And so when the Russians agreed that they would turn over other areas like Romania, Wallachia, Moldova, Bessarabia, as it was called, to uh, to the West, the, the Turks said, we'll essentially recognize them as in, uh, effectively independent states. Then everybody said, well, we're not really interested anymore. And so the Russians got to keep the Crimea. Then the Russians went through a massive modernization effort to ensure that what happened to them in Crimea would not happen again. The next time the Crimea is physically taken is in 1941-42 when the Germans took it. And the Russians, or at that point, the Soviets, sustained enormous casualties. Remember, we think the Soviets probably lost twice what they admitted, probably more than 40 million dead uh, fighting uh, the, the Nazis in uh, Russia. And so retaking the Crimea again cost the Soviets a lot of casualties. So it's become kind of a, a national catharsis that Crimea must remain in the hands of Russia. And Putin has since 2014 and 2012 poured enormous money into building bridges and rail lines and everything else into the Crimea. And one of the reasons they wanted to drive the Ukrainians out of the area around Crimea is that the Ukrainians were stopping the flow of fresh water into Crimea. So bottom line is no one's going to give that up who's a russian it's a done okay, deal but but the
1: point of the uh, news reports is and maybe this isn't the first time maybe it is you'll you'll know when i when i get the question out of my mouth uh, that the ukraines have gone on the offensive <laughs> if if they if they are at least that's the point of the article i know you're laughing that's why i want you on here to clarify all this uh-huh. so the new york times and nbc news where we all read this stuff is claiming a revivification of of the Ukraine military strength because they're going on the offensive and attacking behind the Russian military lines. Educate us.
0: Uh, It's it's unworthy of any serious attention. As I said, there may have been some sabotage. It might have been a quadcopter dropping ammunition. It certainly was not evidence for any rocket attacks from so-called HIMARS systems because... The evidence is pretty substantial. They've almost run out of any more rockets to fire. What is the
1: state of the uh, military conflagration between Ukraine and Russia today?
0: Well, as you'll recall, a few weeks ago when we spoke, I said that there would be a Russian offensive in August and that the Russian army had been largely withdrawn, that is the regular army, and replaced by mercenaries, Chechen forces, the Wagner types, and effectively reservists and locals to fight the Ukrainians. Well, that's you, now stopped. You did say that, yes. Yeah. The This offensive is beginning. The Russian army is back. And they are crushing the remainder of the Ukrainian defenses in the south in preparation, I think, for a strike to Odessa. And this will make Ukraine a landlocked country. And I think we're going to see something similar in the near future up in Kharkov. So that... That offensive has begun. There is no Ukrainian counteroffensive. There is nothing with which to attack. And is, if you look back in July, the Europeans have effectively made no new commitments in terms of shipping equipment to Ukraine. Uh, is the, the whole thing uh, is winding down.
1: Is the resurgence uh, of the Russian army and the resurgence uh, of these attacks, which you uh, predicted a month or so ago, the reason for a ridiculous article on the website The Hill signed by a group of former American ambassadors to just about all the countries in the area
0: well I think it's part of it uh, let's be frank this this war is lost Ukrainians have probably lost 60 70,000 killed over a hundred thousand casualties easily they've got nothing left. And the pipeline, which was never very good in terms of delivering equipment and ammunition, has, has dwindled. It's, it's almost turned off. And you add the corruption into this business, with so much of the equipment disappearing onto black markets and being resold, the war is effectively lost. And I think at this point, that's why you get this letter that says the U.S. must push now to arm Ukraine. Well, it's too late. It's a, it's a dead end. And the other thing is that everybody on that list if you look at them carefully they all go back to the late 90s in the Clinton administration these are people that pushed us into the balkans which is i'm sure you're aware and others are aware is now falling apart right the problems in herzegovina and, and bosnia the problems in kosovo these are insoluble and the only way they can be preserved in their in the in the setting that we created in in the 1990s is for foreign forces to be there on the ground. How
1: apparent is it to American uh, intel and to American troops in non-uniforms on the ground what you've just articulated? Number one. Number two, isn't it dangerous for American troops out of uniform on the ground to be there in in the midst of, or right now at the beginning of, a, a massive Russian offensive?
0: Well, the answer to the first question is yes. People in the intelligence community know that this war is lost. They know the Ukrainians have sacrificed all of their best capabilities, their best forces. They have no means to launch an effective counteroffensive, and they never have launched a a major counterattack since this war began. In fact, I would argue that just as the New York Times is insisting that now there was some new counteroffensive in the offing with Ukraine, they've been predicting Ukrainian victory since the 24th of February. It's always been an illusion. It's smoke and mirrors. It doesn't exist. So, yes, that's the first, the first part. The second part is I think there is, as you, as you implied, a real sense of desperation now. And so the, the people that have brought this disaster to fruition cost us billions of dollars and, and, frankly, destroyed Ukraine in the process and hundreds of thousands of casualties and millions of lives. They are now desperate to somehow or another rescue it. And the only way you can do that in their minds is to lie, frankly, about the true state of affairs on the ground in the country and hope that you can get more more money and more equipment out of President Biden and his friends.
1: One of our um, viewers asked, why doesn't Putin just
0: bomb Kiev into the Stone Age? Well, because first of all, Kiev is still an ancient city with a long and important religious cultural legacy that the Russians honor and always have. You know, all the great Russian composers and poets, everyone of significance spent summers in Ukraine. All of them visited Kiev. It it is practically Jerusalem in many respects to many of the uh, Russian Orthodox uh, Christians. So he's not going to do that. Secondly, he's never been interested in that. This is the big lie that was perpetrated early on. Putin wants to rebuild the Russian Empire. No, no one wants to go back and look at the Minsk Accords. What did the Russians want? They wanted the Russian speakers, in other words, the Russians living in eastern Ukraine, to be treated right. as equal partners with the Ukrainians. They wanted them to allow, wanted the Ukrainians to allow them to have their own language, their own communities, and the Russians wanted independence, virtual independence, autonomy for the, the two republics in the east and recognition for Ukraine. The, re- the Ukrainians, I think, would have done that. But we installed a government there that was responsive to our demands. And we wanted a war thinking that we were going to somewhere or another wear out Russia. And remember, there's a certain progressive leftist mentality that says, no matter how wrong you are, no matter how much it costs in terms of blood and treasure, if you persist long enough, eventually, your enemy will give up and go away. Oh, come on. Don't, oh, really don't uh, The people that signed
1: that you. letter have signed on for that illusion. Don't Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, and Lloyd Austin, the uh, Secretary of Defense, and William Burns, the head of the CIA, know what you have just articulated about the dilapidated state of the Ukraine military and in the inevitability of the Russian surge, which has now commenced.
0: Uh, I think so. I don't know and how.
1: What, what do they tell old Joe what they think he wants to hear? Are they finally
0: telling him the truth? Well, you know, look. <laughs> if we start talking about President Biden and and you know whether or not he's really all there and how much he understands and how much he just repeats, that's we waste a lot of time on that. Let's look at the people around him and those that stand in his immediate vicinity. Okay, the people
1: around him are globalists but are they, they, they must uh, they cannot escape reality.
0: They are ideologues. Ideology is the secular version of religion. So in a sense they're true believers that refuse to come to terms with reality. It doesn't matter what actually happens they will never admit to doing anything wrong these are not realists there's no realistic appraisal of what is or is not in the interest of the american people and this is the biggest problem is it in our interest for this war to rage on in eastern ukraine well from the very beginning it never was do we have an interest in seeing all of these ukrainians killed their lives ruined no do we have an interest in seeing large numbers of russians killed no it's a, this is insanity i want to get this you this is their mentality
1: I want to get you a press pass and get you to the next press conference that Tony Blinken holds because somebody needs to put these questions to him.
0: What is the American end game here? Well, the end game has never been articulated other than to say we want to weaken Russia to ensure that Russia will never do this again. Well, if you, if you don't want Russia to intervene in a state neighboring Russia, that's an easy solution. Don't try to build a base there for U.S. and allied military power that threatens Russia. That's easy. This is a lot of nonsense. Everyone fails to understand as w- something else. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but Americans need to really know this. The Russian army is actually quite small. If you go back to what the Russians have maintained under arms historically under the czars in the late 19th century, early 20th century, then subsequently the Soviets, this this army is a fraction of that size. You, you've got barely 400, 450, 500,000 men in it, and most of those are temporary. In other words, you've got a professional standing force, about 200,000, then they're augmented by some draftees, and those in turn are augmented by some reservists. You don't attack NATO with a force like that. It's ludicrous nonsense. You know,
1: um, you once had the president's ear, not Biden, Trump. Yes. And the president had, like everybody watching and listening now, or nearly everybody, tremendous respect uh, for you. I'm wondering why Putin didn't do this under President Trump's watch because you would have advised him, and he probably would have accepted that advice, to stay out. Why would Putin have waited until the neocons and globalists surrounding Biden were in there, spending more in American cash than Putin spends in a year for his entire Defense Department?
0: Absolutely. Well, the first thing to keep in mind is that uh, I think Putin... Uh, not only personally liked Trump, but I think President Putin thought that President Trump would build a new rapport with Russia. President Trump is not known publicly for the way President Trump is privately. We always see President Trump speaking off the cuff uh, very, very, uh, what's the right word, spontaneously, to the to the crowd, you and know, which, and with much
1: and with much bellicosity.
0: Yes, but in private, President Trump listens. He really does. He'll ask you a question, and he will listen, and then he'll I, follow
1: I, up. I, uh, Colonel, I can attest to that myself, having been and still am a friend of his uh, for thirty five years. I'm going to amend your quest your answer, and say Putin probably thought that Trump would be reelected.
0: Oh, I think he did. And he was he was really among the first to discover the extent to which uh, there were efforts to subvert and undermine his re-election. Right. But I think he really believed that uh, President Trump could forge a new relationship with Russia. And again, nobody understands how much cooperation we enjoyed from the Russians going back to 2001. We couldn't have walked into Afghanistan and done much of anything without the enormous help from them in terms of intelligence, from the arms that they provided to the Northern Alliance, which fought on the ground right. effectively to, to rid Afghanistan of the Taliban. Boy, there's a phrase from the past,
1: Colonel, Northern Alliance. Let me get back to uh, Intel before we end. You um, told us, your colleague Scott Ritter told us, your colleague Phil Giraldi told us that the intelligence briefers in the Oval Office are notorious for telling the president what they think he wants to hear. But at some point, they have to tell the truth as they understand it to be. Do you know? I know you're not in there. You once were, but you're not there now. Do you know if, if in their minds we have reached that point where they have to say, Mr. President, this is going nowhere. This is, this is a Putin victory in months.
0: One would think so. At this point, it's, it's indisputable that's why these silly reports from the New York Times are just glitter that that have no basis in fact. But again, we don't know what goes on in this administration. The only thing I can say is that inside the Intelligence Committee there are always people who try to present ground truth. That ground truth is subjected to modification and change based on the agenda in the White House in many cases. Has it always been that way? No, but it has gotten that way certainly over the last several years. And I think with President Trump, uh, I don't know that he was always told the truth about a whole range of things, because we know that he was told that at one point there were only three or four hundred soldiers on the ground in uh, Syria, and there were upwards of 2,000. Americans. Yes. And these are are bold-faced lies. And I'm sure that we know that there are Americans not in uniform, on the ground, either operating as mercenaries or contractors, whatever you call them, in Ukraine. And you asked earlier, could they be killed? Of course. But the majority of them are so far back that the probability of of being hurt is probably low. In other words, if you're going to stay west of the Dnieper River,
1: you're probably not going to be at risk. Last question. Uh, How long do you think uh, the surge uh, will last before the Ukrainians have nothing left with which to resist it?
0: Well I'm not sure they've got a whole lot right now that makes much difference so I think this surge will go on until the objectives are secured I think until Ukraine is a landlocked country which means Odessa has to fall and that stretch of territory that reaches over to Romania and Moldova is is got to be taken but but, find- but before but before the winter comes yes because you know you've got the muddy season I mean you can operate through it uh, they did the last time in February and March it was muddy and miserable but it's not something you want to do if you can avoid it. So I'm sure there is some, some sense of urgency to get it over with. And I think they can't. But the Ukrainians, there's not much they can do about it.
1: Colonel McGregor, always a pleasure. Thank you for your candor. Thank you for your analysis. Uh, I can tell from the comments we're getting. Very much appreciated. All the best to you, sir. Thank you, Judge. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.